0: When you're one of the best clubs in MLS but you haven't played a game yet It's That's So MLS <laughs> With myself, Nick Thornton, with me always is Andrew Bates
1: Nick, happy holidays
0: Happy holidays, we are in the weird intermediary It's the post-season of the holidays Where the, the new season has yet to begin But we've definitely wrapped up The MLS final, which is Christmas in this scenario, that I'm not articulating well. I feel like I feel like the week between Christmas and New Year's is like the
1: uh, the now now axed um, international break in the middle of the playoffs. Yeah, it's like oh, the playoffs are still happening, but like now we have work days. (laughs)
0: It's it's bizarre. Um, and of course the, the team I'm referring to in the little intro, there's FC Cincinnati who continues to build this incredibly stellar roster and, uh, they're starting to look like the team to beat despite not having played a single MLS game yet.
1: Yeah. It's like they, they, for having, for being a team that is an expansion team, they seem to have so many assets.
0: Absolutely. And we, we talked about some of the people they've added before, but, and we'll get to it a little at some point in the show, about uh, some another big move that they just made.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, the uh, Do we want to talk first about the the big news? We're recording this on uh, Thursday, the twenty seventh. That that broke just yesterday.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, we are, of course, commemorating and mourning the loss of Siggy Schmidt, the winningest. MLS coach of all time and of course just a uh, tremendous figure in the North American soccer community.
1: It really seems uh, reading the tributes that he is somebody that sort of has um, stretched to all three eras of, of MLS and even the era before you know like like he seems to be somebody who is well, I don't know before I don't know when he was in, in college but before that Really developed phase through MLS one point zero to two point zero, and even uh, even had a cameo. If whenever three, whenever you consider MLS 3.0 to start,
0: mm-hmm. he
1: seems to be one um, personality who has bridged all of those eras as a coach.
0: Absolutely, and you know I think even uh, a few years ago, there wasn't a coach. Uh, or player in MLS, it seemed, that hadn't either sort of had tutelage under Bruce Arena or Siggy Schmidt. Mm-hmm. Um, such are those those two figures in MLS. And, of course, um, you know, Siggy left sort of unceremoniously from LA Galaxy in his second stint there. Apparently, you know, there were health concerns there, and it was an uphill battle. I think it seemed, reading between the lines, it seemed like, there's a bit of a, a fight with the front office at LA Galaxy and maybe just a little bit too much burden put on his shoulders. But, you know, you can't understate the impact that he had on on MLS and moving the league forward. Obviously, somebody that was a huge proponent of uh, bringing up young domestic players, which really, regardless of what phase you think MLS is in right now, just for that alone, we have Ziggy Schmidt to thank for the fact that MLS has become uh, a league where we're bringing up star players and selling them to the top leagues rather than having to import top players from leagues abroad. Yeah. Ex- exclusively um, anyway.
1: So what was his kind of role in that?
0: Well, in, you know, I mean, there's just so much that's been written about him in, in the, the last sort of 48 hours. And admittedly, you know, even I knew a bit about his past, but, Um, I hadn't quite known that where he had gotten his start, which was leading the elite college programs at UCLA. And then I think uh, Galaxy was his first stint in MLS, then with Columbus, then with Seattle. And then, of course, with Galaxy again um, in his final coaching days in MLS. But really, you know, this the MLS, of course, always likes to pride itself on being this nimble, adaptable league, but also sort of prone to just being on the lookout for whatever the brand new shiny thing is. But Siggy Schmidt had this sort of longer vision, I think, of really seeing the potential of certainly U.S. soccer, but uh, MLS as a whole, what would be possible if um, the right foundations were put into place, that this was more than just, uh, hey, how come North America doesn't have a soccer league too, but understanding that, um, development academies, and giving young players a shot was also a key part of developing the league.
1: When you look at the, the list of, of, and we don't usually, we don't spend a lot of time talking about the U.S. Men's national team, but when you, hmm, it's hard to realize because mature, uh, MLS is in this mature state uh, like status right now, but mm-hmm. like in that 90s period, it's like this kind of did all spring up and when you look at the list of players that he coached that uh, that went to the U.S. men's national team, it really does kind of define an era. You saw many of those people. Uh, Jimmy Conrad, Conrad made an appearance, and he had a very touching tribute I saw on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but all the players that he had coached in, in college that went on to the national team. And also, I, I think that's funny when you look at the college thing, that it's like a preamble where the some of the coaches, like, him and arena and Caleb Porter are all coaches who defined uh, soccer for the next, for the decades to come.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, the list is just absurd. Uh, and certainly seeing the outpouring of uh, memory and um, what's the word? I'm I just sort of uh, compassion for the, yeah. for the man and for the coach. Um, obviously, I'll, even just looking at Seattle players past and present, um, I sort of forgotten too. like Kai Kamara was given his, his first real opportunity to play an MLS by Siggy Schmidt as well. Like there's just such a long list of players that have gone on to become what we consider MLS vets and and staples of the league that really owe a huge debt to him. I think it was Stefan Fry who said, you know, everybody had given up on me. Um, And Ziggy was a hard person to get to have trust you, but once you had it, you sort of had that for life. And I thought one of the most sort of touching things and what perhaps sums up the man and the coach best is what Jordan Morris um, shared, which was that after his major surgery this year in California, it was Ziggy Schmidt who went to go pick him up from the hospital and drive him home that you know the, the connection was still there with all of these players that mm-hmm. he obviously had a lot of faith in, but also kept um really strong relationships with as well.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I feel like the you know, we've we've viewed him kind of through the, the moment of the present on this podcast and in and I think that in the past. And I feel like that what that has could kind of amounted to is that as you mentioned he I kind of I kinda of think that in if you read uh, pieces like the one that Matt Pence wrote for Howler, um, it's like you know, he lo- it seems like he lost the Game of Thrones at Seattle. And mm-hmm. it was kind of hard for him to find a place elsewhere and in and, and in de- if you look at that sort of era, it's hard to sometimes think about, you know, how really successful he was in the in double mark he made on people. But I was impressed by the fact that like the, the organization doing the communicating on this was the Sounders.
0: Absolutely. I mean, MLS is always going to be a league where people are always going to go, yeah, but what have you done for us lately? Mm-hmm. And, and not necessarily like the, the, his stats speak for themselves of what he was able to accomplish. No, he didn't win MLS cup with Sounders, mm-hmm. um, but he certainly did it with galaxy. And did he do with Columbus as well? I've forgotten, yes. but yes. yes. Um, like the guy's record is fantastic. And, If anything, I think, I mean, you can look at it one of two ways. You can either look at the last couple of years and go, and hey, he's taken some shrapnel on this show for maybe not adapting and and being sort of a, a more outdated coach as MLS has transitioned into this new era. But you can look at it one of two ways. One is that he had these sort of outdated methods and maybe didn't adapt as quickly as the league required in the last two years. Or you can look at it and go, it's his... Influence that allowed MLS to get to this third phase. Yeah. That actually meant it's sort of like a, a passing of the baton to the next generation of coaches. That when you look at now the caliber of coaches that are being demanded to be brought into MLS, um, that supporters and uh, front offices of clubs are requiring to have, I, I don't think that's any small piece in part because of Schmidt's influence.
1: Mm. That's absolutely right. And, that, and I'm happy to see, you know, I always feel bad whenever you, whenever, I've, you know, whenever you've criticized somebody and then you, and then they pass away and now you feel like a huge jerk for it. <laughs> but, um, but like, I think that it's good that, that people are sort of recognizing his, his, his lasting legacy.
0: Absolutely. And it's it is a good reminder. And we we try to refrain from it on the show. You know, we try to make sure we're putting things in their proper context. And, mm-hmm. and we're not unduly criticizing anyone. But again, I really do see the when you look at the arc of Schmidt's career, you can it's a perfect sort of parallel with the, the the changes in the rise in the League that's happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's unfortunate that he kind of bowed out the way that he did, but I, I don't think that erases any of the impact that he had. And obviously if health concerns were something on top of that, then it, it makes perfect sense that um, you know, the, the second stint at Galaxy didn't quite go his way.
1: My favorite moment um, in one of my favorite things kind of to read about about people's memories of him one of them was how um how much he enjoyed talking about soccer with fans (laughs) or with whoever right in and one of the stories was that he um when he was let go in seattle um although he's somebody who like watches soccer all the time or whatever the they tried they weren't gonna watch soccer that day they went out for like a Apparently, this you know, this isn't a piece uh, from Pants and the uh, the Athletic. Um, they went up to the hill because he just didn't want to watch the game that was going to be on that weekend. Um, but they go into a uh, uh, like a convenience store, and the the like clerk is a Sounders fan, and he recognizes, of course, the coach walks walks in and he starts button buttonholing him with answers. Didn't know that the guy had just been fired, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I don't I don't recall I don't think so anyways but but he but he had this sort of infectious you know love for soccer love for talking to people about soccer he couldn't get away from it he didn't want to
0: Yeah absolutely and I I'm, I'm just loving how you know one of the great things about being a soccer fan and I th- maybe it's not specific to MLS although I think we have our, our own strange little characters that look, no, I think the maybe hours before or the day before the news about, uh, Schmid's passing, I had sort of released a thing on our Instagram, just saying like, it's the one time of year that we can all come together and appreciate the beautiful game and agree that we all hate Seattle Sounders. (laughs) And then the next day, just being like actually really kind of heartbroken that we lost such an amazing figure. Mm-hmm. And and that, you know, these rivalries and things like that exist, but I don't think there's anybody, uh, any fan player or otherwise across the league who who just can't help but feel this is a, a tremendous loss to the soccer community yeah. and that there was certainly always a place in the league for Schmid, whether that was as a, a commentator, a coach or whatever role he might have played in the future. It's just, it is, um, it it's just such an unfortunate loss.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean like my last my the last time I thought about it before that was uh um when Jose Mourinho was fired from Manchester United and I was like Siggy Schmidt's available <laughs> Yeah
0: truly <laughs> Truly
1: A reference yeah. which references you know, it, it jokingly references his uh uh personality clashes his, his, his past personality clashes, but I mean like I I could see it in a way, you know?
0: Sure. Well, uh, Schmidt certainly had a better record of developing youth players than Mourinho did. So <laughs> there's that. But, uh, I mean, I just always, obviously, my memories of Schmidt are mostly staring him down on the touchline in BC Place, so usually as the Sounders came in and <laughs> thrashed us one way or the other. <laughs> Cer- certainly during his tenure, they did. Yeah. Um, But I sort of loved that he was always this sort of quiet, tall, imposing figure he seemed to always be shouting, but you could never really hear. But he was shouting at the players. But he would always just come over calmly after the game, shok- shake the coach's hand, regardless of how ridiculous the match had been or how many cards had flown, and just appreciate. Like, seemed to really appreciate doing his job. Mm-hmm. Like there was. He, it's not that he wasn't passionate about it. He was just he was wrapped up in it, but also so consumed by the game that I, I think he really did just love getting to, to watch soccer from that vantage point and be involved in it.
1: That is that is quite excellent. Um, the Another... And we were talking about this and I almost forgot it because our in our new two-week off-season schedule, uh, they, they passed. But we do have uh, updated playoff brackets.
0: We do. So I'm going to need some clarification here too because I, I read about it when it, the news first came out that the playoff structure has changed... Um, but can you can you remind me of how and give me some details
1: okay so here's so here's the deal uh there are going to be four the the there are going to be four more teams added to the playoffs okay um but d- uh, double leg ties are out um so we're going to now have a, a a single game knockout system with um top seeds getting a bye okay so you will have sort of a you will now have three Six. wild card games. Yeah, and then the two and the one end of it will one the winner of one of those games will face the top seed. The winner of the other game will finish. The winner of the third game uh, will face the winner of the third game. Um, these few these next rounds will not be seeded, so it's going to be March Madness style. Wherever you place in the bracket is where you're going to be the whole time. So. So, for example, if you have a uh, a two versus I don't know how many teams there are here. If there's if you have a two versus seven, uh, and the seven wins, the seven's going to go on to finish the face the winner of of the uh, third seed.
0: Oh, three, I see. Four. Okay.
1: Um. So that is. In in the the part of what that is supposed to accomplish, well, other than adding the extra teams, is that now um, the MLS Cup is going to take place a month earlier on the weekend of sort of November eighth ish, and uh, and the international break in the middle of the playoffs will no longer happen. It'll it'll finish before that
0: international break. Thank God. <laughs> As much as I really hate the constant tinkering of the league um, that that sort of gives way to that sort of bright, new, shiny thing that MLS seems obsessed with, this seems like sensible change to me.
1: And I also... I said it... Uh, I said it wrong. I said four more teams. It's two more teams. 14 of the 24 teams. Right. With uh, seven per conference qualifying. Do you... Are you uh, I've seen some people worry that it, you know, adding more teams only, you know, further debases the regular season. I think the I kind of think the league is growing. So, mm-hmm. it's like keeping up with inflation in a way.
0: It makes sense. I think also it makes sense with a slightly compressed time frame that hopefully this will, will help them market this as well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and I think just realistically if you've got that many teams competing, it makes sense to open up a couple of more playoff spots and it means that you've also got two more markets watching hopefully the whole playoff run. Mm. Um, which I think if, you know, especially if some of these expansion clubs (laughs) like Atlanta continue to do, do well or continue to do well, I think that it's, uh, yeah, I get the business side of it for certain. um, it, I do sometimes wonder about, like... I know that there seems to be, in theory, a cap for the league, but it does become a little bit like, well, what does the regular season really mean? Um, that being said, as somebody wa- who watches <laughs> almost every game, or certainly a huge portion of them, mm-hmm. you know, the I like the playoff structure. I, I don't really miss uh, the European structure whereby, you know three quarters of the way through the season, you kind of know who's already won the title, and then that's just it. That makes sense. So I'm I'm happy with the structure. I'm happy with it to be condensed. And if there's more teams, then, yeah, it makes sense to have a couple more playoff spots. So the
1: specific numbers for next year is deci- Decision Day is on October 6th. Uh, mm-hmm. There will be sort of an empty weekend, and then uh, the playoffs begin October 19th. Uh, the MLS cup final will be on November 10th. So that's like the, I don't know if there's in the, So there's a decision, right. There's decision day. Then there is a nine day international break. Then three days of rest, then the playoff start. And then mm. the international break is scheduled for immediately following MLS cup, which sucks for the players, but I guess,
0: but I think it sucks for the players anyway cuz if you're one of the players that goes on that international break, you've got obviously just the physical strain and the mental strain of readjusting and then playing with a new team and then you've got to come back and potentially do the thing again but for higher stakes. It like I, I think, think I would I would rather know like I'd rather go on international break knowing what your playoff fate is. Yeah. And or like being able to put a cap on the season and say, okay, now I'm going away to rejoin my national teammates and focus on something else, rather than have those two things kind of like held up beside each other, trying yeah. to juggle them.
1: That makes a lot of sense. I'm gonna the the two other things I'm gonna throw at you in and I'm gonna ask your response to see if you you care or you think it matters. Um fixed seating. Mm. So the first the the first team the first seeded team will play the fourth fifth seeded team instead of the lowest seeded team if that should happen to be the sixth or seventh seed
0: i'm fine with that in so much as i understand it which is admittedly i've always been vague about brackets and i usually have to look it up every time it happens to see who's playing who mm-hmm. um it's always seemed weird to me to have a top seed playing a bottom seed so if if that evens things out a little bit more, then I'm I'm okay with it. But I think just through my answer, you probably have an understanding of how little I grasp bracket structures. People's,
1: conf- I guess one one type is the March Madness style fixed bracket. Uh, Champions League and um, and World Cup structure is usually to reseed after each round to ensure right. that sort of the 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 strongest teams are rewarded for like and this is especially in a league structure the strongest teams are rewarded for their league placement by facing the weakest teams. Mm. And then the middle the middlest teams play each other.
0: Right. But I also uh, feel but I feel like because MLS is so competitive like ideally um it shouldn't really matter if you're within those top I get what it will be 12 14 teams. Yeah. Um, As we kind of saw this season, there weren't too many blowouts, really. That's
1: fair. Yeah, I think the thing is, is that this is going to make. Well, there was that Philadelphia one. Uh, yeah, well, that's true.
0: But there's... but that that was also that wasn't necessarily an expected thing either. That it... that if anything was a bit of an anomaly, people expected Philadelphia might have shown up with a little bit more. So it's going to p- make people being me. <laughs>
1: it's going to make it easier to sneak into the playoffs because if you qualify, like, like imagine being on the, 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 you know, the three, four, the three, four or five, six boundary and knowing if you are, if you place six or seventh, you know, assuming, you know, thinking, thinking about how things ended last year, it's like you've, you you place six or seventh and you know that you never have to play Atlanta until the conference final. Mm-hmm. that's that's kind of what is kind of the i feel like people would have the issue with it but also there you're right that there is parody so there is a certain amount of parody so there's it's not necessarily the case uh in every conference that there's going to be one unbeatable team that you hope you never have to face
0: mm-hmm.
1: um the other one i wanted to throw at you uh single elimination do you have a, an opinion About the, uh, the removal of, of home and away goals and, and the, the more
0: on the spot deciders. Uh, Judging by how confused Portland was this year by it, maybe I'll let, maybe I'll let, uh, that, uh, answer that. Um, no, I'm, I, another thing that I'm, I'm okay with, I sort of like the two leg thing just because it means more soccer, but with more teams, you're kind of getting the same amount of soccer, I guess mm-hmm. maybe p- minus a, a game or two. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's fine. I think that honestly, it confuses more people and I like either the results sort of mean that it doesn't really matter what the score is in the second game Mm-hmm. Or the results matter so much that the second game is kind of pointless. Like it's rare that there's a two leg uh, semifinal or whatever that you're really like, ooh, suspenseful. What might happen here? Yeah. So I I'm I know that it's well used elsewhere, but I don't think it's something necessary or something that'll be terribly missed.
1: It's almost weird that it's like. Um... The it's almost weird that it's like I I think a final always should be single leg. As boca as the as the Copa Libertadores final this year taught us. A final should always be single leg, but when it comes to stage like round stages earlier than that, it's almost like a two legged final a two legged semifinal or quarter final seems more serious.
0: Yeah. And
1: I don't know what well, that is. I don't know even well, even though you, I agree with you that like because one of it's those very hard.
0: Well, but it means that like it's very hard to win in one right. Like I, unless you have a complete route, mm-hmm. you're going to have to go out, do the thing for ninety, in some cases, 120 minutes, mm-hmm. and then you're going to have to turn around and do the same thing a few days later. Um, which just puts a tremendous amount of pressure on a team. Now, I I know that's part of what makes makes it exciting and raises mm-hmm. the stakes, but. Um, ultimately we've also seen tactics where a team is kind of, if they're playing away in that first leg to just sort of counter like bunker and counter, mm-hmm. and then it results in not much happening to just hopefully have, uh, the home advantage. I think it does make sense to, to just sort of say like, all right, you've got each team has one shot at it. Yeah. Um, and the winner takes all. That makes
1: sense. I feel like people are- uh, teams are going to get fewer playoff games. Uh, the the bonus third one. I'm looking at this uh, this guide um, that hilariously one of the points that the MLS soccer guide makes is hopefully better weather, uh, roasting Toronto for being super cold. Yeah, I saw <laughs> when that. It in 2016-17. Um, yeah, fair enough. Well, I mean, it's, the leagues. It's not Toronto's fault that it's cold the first weekend of December. Um, the uh, the Bonus third one I was I didn't think of until I saw this was, um, we've talked before about how sometimes it can be a benefit. T- the teams that don't receive the buy can get a benefit from being able to maintain their regular season form,
0: mm-hmm. and it can
1: almost hurt teams that have to take that the, the even the even the the midweek game off. Um, there's now now because of where they're positioning the international breaks, everyone's going to get two weeks, ish between the end of the season and the start of their first playoff game. Is that positive or is that going to take some of the steam out of, I guess, the drama? Is that going to be, what do you you think that's going to result in?
0: I think if I'm thinking from a player or a coach perspective, it's going to take some of the steam out for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're a Seattle that's gone on a fantastic run towards the end of the season, which I expect they'll probably do again because that seems to be their style, and then all of a sudden, right when you're informed, you have to take two weeks off. That sucks. Um, in terms of a business thing and for fans, I think it gives a little bit of breathing room and a chan- it, it gives the, the league a chance to sort of reset and hype up the playoffs and for everyone to sort out what exactly is about to happen, as well as, I think, teams to get a bit of a much-needed break, yeah. Um, because, yeah, I mean, that's the thing, is you... At the end of the day, I don't know how much it really, really matters. It all depends on your perspective. Some teams benefit from keeping the momentum going. Other teams really need a break at that point because two weeks can be the difference between um, having your Almiron come back and be viable for the playoffs. So, if I was a coach and a and a player, I'd kind of I think I'd probably want the two weeks to to do a bit of recovery, focus on tactics, really be able to plan for what your playoff strategy is going to be rather than having to turn around in seven days or less and perform again, especially if, you know, you played a big decision day game.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that will definitely help. You mentioned the star angle, and I think that if there's one, if there's one other, you know, Christmas wish that I would have for this, it is um, remove yellow card allocation. You know, like, like, like almost with the 2 weeks it almost becomes like a separate tournament, right? So yeah. remove yellow card accumulation, get give, give people a chance to get healthy and really be able to push these playoffs as your best players, placing your best players. Everybody has got the same amount of time to rest everybody yeah. well, unless they go to the international break and everybody gets injured. <laughs> but sure. like like everybody everybody has had time uh there are fewer games to to work off yellow cards, I guess. If you had if you had accumulation before, and then the next game was a first a first leg, you're kind of home free a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, take that out so that you
0: have the best lineups you possibly can. Yeah, yeah, I agree. That'd be another sensible change. I mean, I'm turning into a yes man. This is apparently what my uh, postseason brain is doing to me. I'm like, Change everything.
1: <laughs> change it all. Um, we got some some player moves here. Uh, Alvis Powell has moved to Cincinnati. Yeah. What do you think of that?
0: (laughs) This goes back to my uh, opening line here. This is such a coup for FC Cincinnati, who's really turning into this really well-rounded team that, despite lacking, like, major star power, um, Mm. that before the January transfer window is even opened, (coughs) excuse me, it's so exciting! It's making me sneeze. They've built this in, incre- like this squad of pretty great depth. They've been able to hang on to some key pieces from their successful USL runs, um, but have also added key pieces. Like I just brought up their roster here, because when you read it all together, it starts to give you a sense of it. So, of course, they've got Fernando Adi.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh Is it Fataya Alashi?
1: I don't. I I I don't I know how to say they... his first
0: name. Alashi. Um, Eric Alexander, uh, from Houston Dynamo, they've got uh the French dude, uh, Deplan, I believe, Deplan maybe, Deplain. Deplan, Deplan yeah. from, uh, from France. Uh, they've got Greg Garza, of course. They brought in Kendall Waston. Um, the Argentinian Ledesma's got a great track record as well. They, of course, added Darren Maddox, who um has worked with Alan coach before and now with Alvis Powell and then Uyoa as well. Like they've got incredible depth here and they're, like they're nowhere near done. <laughs> so
1: Powell, Austin uh, and Garza is a really great uh, foundation for a backline.
0: No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right. And like, and youthful as well. So I think what, what coach has done really well is Koch, Alan, Alan Koch, coach, Coach Koch. Coach Koch is uh, is built this quite youthful beginner lineup um, with a little bit of age and experience from around MLS and a few international. Um, but I believe hasn't filled any of his DP spots yet. So like this is great bones of a club. Is Addy, um,
1: for some reason? I feel like Audi might be in that.
0: Oh yeah, Audi probably is a DP. That was like um,
1: the weirdest, like, and, and when we talk about their, their squad composition, the fact that they brought in Adi in the middle of last season and, and hired him to, to play in USL almost seems unfair. It seemed almost unfair at the time.
0: It did, but it, you certainly see now why why that move was made and to get him into the system and to know the team and know the style of play. Mm-hmm. Um it's all starting to come together and make sense now. I just, I, I'm calling it right now. This is going to be an incredibly hard team to play against. I think they're going to have their growing pains like any expansion side, but mm. this is looking a lot more promising than the the Minnesotas or the Orlandos that have come in with kind of anemic lineups that are focused around a couple of star players. Yes. Um, Cincinnati's going the, the much better route, I think, which is, you know, establishing these really strong uh, the skeleton of the team, or the backbone, if you will, and then adding some key pieces around that, but also really understanding that without a great defense, you're not going to go far in MLS, and certainly <laughs> Koch has done that.
1: Mm-hmm. The uh, They were also a big uh, a part of another large move this, uh, this week, as they, I believe, traded away a second round. Uh, they acquired a second round draft pick for their first... Uh, their first place in the allocation ranking order, which is another <laughs> bit of MLS uh, uh, jargon that that essentially means that a player who has left the league, as Lawrence Simon, uh, Simon did from LAFC last season to go to Belgium, um, when a when a foreign player leaves MLS and then returns to MLS, his rights go to whoever is at the top of the allocation order. In this right. case, that would be. That would be Cincinnati, except Cincinnati has now, um, Cincinnati traded their spot to Toronto for them to uh, be able to bring back uh, the defender, who is also um, well known for his time in Montreal. So this is a, this is kind of considered a weird, a weird fixture as, as a, as a team that has, um, as a, as a former opponent that has been welcomed now onto the other side of uh, the rivalry.
0: If next year he wants to complete the Canadian treble and join Vancouver Whitecaps for a spell, I'm totally okay with that. Whatever we can do <laughs> to get Simon to get the put that final jewel in his Canadian crown. Um, yeah, at first I was a little bit surprised. I thought, like, why would FC or Cincinnati even bother? Like, why wouldn't they just lock him up? But, of course, they've got a tremendous salary on uh, Kendall Waston and Greg Garza, so... It makes sense to, to waive this and get the draft pick to build for the future. Obviously a great um, pull for Toronto. Yeah. Um, the one question I sort of have is that, you know, certainly wherever Simon plays, he, he's going to play well. And certainly Toronto's defense needs the shoring up. But I still wonder about this... W- how Toronto's going to strike the balance between developing young players and giving them a shot and just sort of buying one-stop solutions to solve their problems that ultimately cost them uh, a huge amount of money and don't always work out. Now, with Simon, we know he's got the the track record, and there's no reason to think he wouldn't perform well in Toronto's back line. It just does make you wonder, again, a player at a very high salary rate um, towards the cap is this ultimately the right long-term solution however i don't think toronto's always focused on long-term solutions
1: it's very hard to under to, to to sort of know where to strike that balance with toronto's defense because uh on one hand toronto had such such terrible problems last year with injuries and in filling that position they had you know uh michael bradley back there who's a midfielder at some points because mm-hmm. Drew Moore was injured for so long, and, and they had other injuries there as well, um, and certainly, uh, like you have got to think, you know, when more when Moore was injured, you know, right after that dip, after they, they bounced out of the champion the Concacaf Champions League, if they have a Laurent Simon to, to step in, is are they are their futures are their like you, are their fortunes improved? But when the 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 side the flip side of that is is that they if everybody is healthy I wonder you know I feel like protect drew more at all costs and it, and I wonder how they're going to work together because of how vocal a person Simon is mm-hmm. um, when when you have your a lineup it's like are they all gonna is there are there too many people uh to fit in the in the dinghy uh, is something that I worry about
0: yeah, and and certainly you would. This is kind of where my question comes from because you would favor Simon to start over anybody in their lineup, and certainly for what they're paying for him. So, or what I assume they're going to be paying for him.
1: Mm-hmm. Also, they resigned Auro too. They, he he had been on mm. sort of the option list because he was on a loan, uh, but they've uh, they've they've now signed him. Right. So he's yeah. a part of that big. You know, you look. They've got. Uh, they've got what like 11 12 defenders to fit into four spots.
0: Mhm. Yeah, they're very heavy on defenders right now. Um which I guess which I... Would am, am, it makes sense uh you, you, <laughs> it, especially after the season they'd had that you're you're going to want to carry uh at least five center backs. Healthy center backs that is. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, but I agree. Like I said, I'm not sure how this quite all shakes out, and it, it's beginning to seem like, again, the the pack is getting a little tight and crowded. Where where do you slot in the minutes for those younger players and, and build for the future? It depends.
1: I mean, like, I would... They're in the CONCACAF Champions League again. They You know they have a large number of, of games to play. Um, I would... You know, look to form some sort of you know um, international versus domestic roster or at least do a little like, do a little bit of, of squad rotation for those games. But we know that Toronto had a lot of issues last year, not just because of depth, but they didn't really particularly seem like a hot swappable team where, mm-hmm. where they seemed like when they had their their key A MLS Cup winning lineup, they were unbeatable. And when they had to, um, comp- when they had to compensate for an Agaracche being in or 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 whomever, uh, they began to have problems. Yeah. So so I think that that is their having. If you are in the position where you have all these games, and you are rotating people in and out, so you effectively have. Um, you know a decent amount of minutes for for six defenders instead of just four or or, or seven, um, then it's fine. Then you can just you can just use young players against MLS games that aren't your priority or or cup ties that aren't your priority. Um, but TFC haven't shown a lot of ability to um, to have that sort of secondary configuration that that can get them success.
0: Yeah. It's starting to feel a little bit like, um, the team that won the cup is, you know, it's, it's starting to look a bit like a a distant memory now in terms of, um, if they're just kind of trying to constantly recreate that thing or capture lightning in a bottle Mm. rather than move on and look for sort of phase two of that successful Toronto team. But, uh, I also don't want to go off of one year that was sort of anomalous in multiple ways, and then see that as the you know the story that tells us what this team is you know Toronto two looks like.
1: The uh, uh, um, Orlando's Yoshi tune has been um, sold to Mexico. Apparently, he was the one that wanted to go. I would want to leave. Uh, I would want to leave uh, Orlando after that year too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, he's a player that had sort of flashes of brilliance, and you saw what He was capable of, but never quite materialized for Orlando, quite like pretty much every player that's played in a Lions jersey since the club's been in the league. (laughs) Um, So uh, just being brutally honest about it, um, any team that can sort of ruin Sasha Clushton obviously has uh, bigger problems to sort out, and to get... It's reported they're getting around four million for him. I, I say yeah, take the money and and run and try to do something. Try to spread that out a little bit and do something else with it. We've got uh, the the replacement for Tata Martino
1: in Atlanta will be Frank de Boer, who who had great success at Ajax, Amsterdam. had right. Less success at FC Barcelona, and was fired, I believe, last season uh at crystal palace which I, I the 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 discourse has been i feel like the discourse has been weird because i feel like fans that follow both european soccer and american soccer are acquainted with these people as characters yeah and and people are 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 questioning whether or not he's good enough to be an MLS coach because he had trouble being the coach of FC Barcelona. I don't yeah. know that those are necessarily the same, you know, issues. The same, the same sort of quality differences. Yeah, uh, the Palace thing is bad. It's hard. To, it's hard. Sure. That being said, that's being that's being said. Uh, nobody. It's it's a lot more embarrassing to to have a, a rough time at a. a a ping pong club like palace.
0: Absolutely. I was going to say Palace is a is a difficult team to take over. Um you know, they did beat Man City last week, so <laughs> they, They've had that that run. Um yeah, I look, they were never going to get another Tata and so they've uh they've got their hands on a a good coach and obviously they've seen something in him that can hopefully uh, begin to build upon what Tata built. So I, I don't know. I think it's a good signing. And, um, yeah, I think uh, MLS fans sometimes just need to get over themselves that, look, just the pedigree alone of these coaches that are coming in, mm-hmm. um, they're not going to be successful with every single club. No coach in the modern era really is anymore. I mean, this is, we, we live in the age where... The special one is you can't hold down a job. So, you know, like I think every coach is allowed a a couple of uh, missteps or not as successful runs. And the best coaches in the world get fired from their jobs. So, yeah, uh, I don't think too much can be um, read into that.
1: It does seem like an ambition hire in terms from from Atlanta in terms of what they can point to. As being, we've we've gone out and, and signed somebody that we think is, is one of the best in the world in that in that deal because of his history with Barcelona and Ajax. But um, the which seems to be in this weird thing, uh, case where so far every time they've done it, it's worked out for them. Mm-hmm. And and buying a big name alone has not all like the what what's weird about people using that as the basis for their description of MLS three is that buying big European names is not anything new in any sense of the word for MLS. It's just that in general, those big European names have either failed outright or required one to two years of seasoning to 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 properly become dominant. So, mm-hmm. um, so it's interesting to see how people sort of treat this. But, and and I wonder if having a couple of duds, not to say that this is one. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens to Atlanta's reputation when they have a couple of uh, of misses more than mm-hmm. hits. People don't people don't look at Ezekiel Barco like a like a bust, and, and I'm not saying I think that he still has promise, but you know, the their certainly their success allows us to ignore the fact that the the team they broke the spending record for is not their one of their best two players.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely.
1: And and I wonder what the reputation of ambition – it's like every new signing like this is a test of the reputation of ambition.
0: Yeah, I agree. Uh,
1: Um, I have one more point for him too. Sure. Um, The other big question that you always have whenever a European manager comes over is, do they understand MLS? Do they understand salary caps, the allocation drafts, homegrown players? And while I don't I'm not saying that the the salary cap aspect uh will be as familiar to him. I feel like working at a club that is as prospect and youth focused as Ajax.
0: Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. where he
1: made his that's where he made his uh his bones and I feel like that is incredibly useful experience to working in the MLS Academy and in, in homegrown based structure.
0: Absolutely. I was kinda of thinking the same thing in that Ultimately, you know, you're going to look at a coach's most recent form or where they went wrong and say, OK, well, why are we bringing in a guy who failed at Crystal Palace? But remembering a coach only has so much control over things depending yeah. on the club. And, you know, if you get hired to come in and take over Palace and I don't know what the the environment was or what the reasons were for it or weren't. But ultimately, when you're interviewing coaches, the what the front office is looking for and the owners are looking for, they're looking for. Somebody that fits the system, that fits the style of play, that understands what the mission of the club is. Mm-hmm. And that's not always a perfect fit, but I think it would be extremely naive to think that Atlanta didn't do their homework knowing that there was enormous shoes to fill. In having a coach that could come in, hit the ground running, but also they don't, they're do not they not doing this to hire a coach for a year, right? They're, they didn't want Tata for only two years. That was meant to be something that established a foundation, but they would have kept Martino there as long as <laughs> as they could have. <laughs> um, so I, there's just so many considerations that go into getting the right coach um, that I think that, yeah, you really do need to, to give the an opportunity to see what the style of play is going to be and the decisions that they make before just, just saying, oh, well, they failed at Crystal Palace, therefore... Um, you know, they're going to fail at Atlanta United.
1: His decision-making will be aided by the return of Michael Parkhurst, who has been re-signed, um, was out of contract, but uh, will be re- returning theoretically as captain.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense for Atlanta. I was, I guess, worried is the wrong word, but it it was kind of odd that he was out of contract and there seemed to be ongoing negotiations and something hadn't been sorted out, you think it would be a no-brainer. I'm, I'm sure Parkhurst, at his age, was holding out for a little bit more money, as he well should. Um, and he had a great bargaining chip that there was three or four other clubs lined up to sign him if Atlanta didn't pony up with the cash. So uh, I think that makes a lot of sense for Atlanta to hang on to one of the players that led them in so much success. And uh, I'm now somewhat more recognized contributor to that but certainly still an undersung hero of the atlanta united story
1: even though he even though he didn't move uh you could kind of consider him a uh beneficiary of the still recent um free agency uh, mm-hmm.
0: moves absolutely. Um, one other one, just jumping back to Orlando for a second. Uh I think this actually might have happened while we we're recording here, is that Columbus crew have signed Joe Bendick from Orlando City.
1: Oh, that's spicy.
0: Um, so they sent fifty thousand in TAM to Orlando City to his acquire to acquire his first right of refusal.
1: Oh, so he hasn't signed yet. A lot of times I've noticed a lot this, this off season that that teams don't do this for funsies.
0: No, like this is a uh, it's their list. MLS is listing him as one of the goalkeepers now for Columbus.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That means that that's, Zach Steffen's still on the list. So I don't know where we're going with that, but
1: that's a that's a. That's this a seems great...
0: an intent to bring in a MLS keeper with a lot of experience, who has not had much luck in Orlando, but certainly is a a guy that can be trusted between the sticks
1: we still have that weird scenario where Stefan is, is staying for only the first half of the season. So I think that Bendik, I've never thought of Bendik as a, as a, as a second tier goalkeeper by any, or like a, like a backup keeper by any step stretch. But I think that he's definitely somebody can, who can step into that spotlight and and take over once that, once Stefan leaves.
0: Absolutely. And I, I would imagine that, you know, through they're going to be looking at that summer transfer window to probably bring in some backup for Bendik. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that that makes sense. Um, certainly, I don't think Joe Bendick is quite the same pedigree as Zach Steffen, but, um, you know, I, like you said, a good substitute option, and then depending on who they sign in the summer, if that's the route they go, well, will either be the starting or the, the sort of second pick, depending on his form as well, I assume.
1: I don't know if Orlando is kind of waiting for the draft to to make their big moves, but this is, I think, going to lead to them needing to, uh, with their with their new per, with their they they did change a permanent manager during the season who had a, a huge chunk of the season, so it's, but this is his first opportunity, I guess, to to reshape the side, and they're going to need to do that because, uh, or they're going to need to do that when you look at sort of the the lineup.
0: Absolutely, and they have nothing to lose, right? Like they're they're mm-hmm. doing the right thing, and they're cleaning house. They're getting some good money, and they're they're starting to to look at what um, the future holds for them. There's still an awful lot of players there that played this year, and I imagine a number of them will stay. But when you, I'm just looking at their lineup right now, like it's pretty thin. There's a lot of room to maneuver there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the Dom Dwyers, Will Johnson, Iguaita, Clutchton, they're all there but um you know there's not a ton of players so they've got some some room to maneuver and now some cash to do it with
1: the um the other big sort of rumor coaching wise is that um the LA Galaxy uh the LA Galaxy vacancy which was being filled by um Dom Kinnear after uh Siggy was fired um is going to be filled by uh Guillermo, Ber- Guillermo Barros hmm who- uh, was a player for uh, the uh, for the Columbus Crew. Uh, it went off, and, and somehow I went through this whole saga without realizing it was the manager of Boca Juniors until just recently.
0: Yes, <laughs> it's cr- crazy that he doesn't want to continue <laughs> coaching, <laughs> coaching a club the... in yeah, maybe the somewhat safer uh, <laughs> atmosphere of South Central Los Angeles. <laughs>
1: It's weird that whether or not it's it's you know his his pedigree alone as a as a you know a player who is an international and in, in that coached in Argentina, um, bringing in a, a league bringing in a, a young product of a young coach who is a product of MLS seems strangely off base for l a.
0: <laughs> it does, which is perhaps why it, it might just work this time. Because um, Lord knows they need a shake-up, and a, of course, on top of, if that does play out the way that it it's anticipated, it will, the fact that they've also uh, been able to secure the services of MLS Comeback Kid of the Year, Ibrahim <laughs> Ibrahimovic. God, oh, yeah. I don't know why I couldn't say his name. He's choking coming me. back. He's coming back. back. The Comeback Kid Returns. You were saying that maybe this comeback
1: will qualify him for 2019 comeback of the year. Uh,
0: if MLS has anything to say about it, who knows? It could happen. <laughs> it could happen again. Yeah, uh,
1: no, uh, uh, it's 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 zebra time again. Um, I think that it's interesting to see what his Ellie Ellie doesn't, uh, to my knowledge, strike me as a club that has done much movement at all in terms of, I guess they got rid of Ashley Cole. They haven't done a lot in the, uh, in the off season and it's going to be an opportunity, I guess, with the draft approaching for, uh, for GBS to, to make his mark.
0: Absolutely. Right. I mean, it makes sense that they haven't done a ton of movement up to this point. Um, but you would expect if they're able to lock that one up, um, there, there's gonna be some major changes coming to LA Galaxy LA Galaxy soon. Um and certainly if you're a supporter of that club, you can't come soon enough.
1: Oh yeah, they're getting Juninho back too. Meh <laughs> <laughs> Did we have okay. that did we have that last time? I can't remember if we had that last time or not.
0: I can't remember either, but uh <laughs> It's twelve again. We, Janino's <laughs> fine. He's fine, I suppose.
1: It's good. All right. Um, in the, uh, as we continue our uh, off season and we, we look at the 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 weeks leading up to preseason is just around the corner in in January. Um, where can we find you online?
0: You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at that's so MLS. Uh, where can we find you? You can find
1: me on the web at uh, Twitter, on Twitter, at Team Bates. Just at uh, Twitter. Www- <laughs> www.team-bates.com. I'm an editor at Howler uh, Magazine at whatahowler.com. Uh, you can find this podcast at www.thatsomls.com. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe on yeah. your podcast of service of choice.
0: Do those things and stick with us during the uh, the the post preseason stuff because we will keep ourselves up to date so we can keep you in the know and of course sort of tracking what all the teams are doing. Uh, but we of course are now on our bi weekly schedule, so we look mm-hmm. forward to uh, ramping up to a season. that, Yeah, it really doesn't seem all that far away now.
1: I gotta send you a picture for the Instagram. Uh, my it, the the relatives didn't even they gave me this didn't understand what a deep cut it was. Um, but I got a okay. uh, they they saw Surrey United and thought it was an English Premier League team. Uh, but I was just losing it because it's like Vancouver Metro Soccer League champions took t- t- 2013 champions <laughs> Surrey United Firefighters the top the top Vancouver the top division of Vancouver uh, amateur soccer. <laughs> I don't think they're even there anymore I think it's just a youth team but I guess yeah. they found it so I was S- like
0: still a collector's item I'm sure
1: still a collector's item it goes right in the collection Thanks. Nice. So, so check into our Instagram for that in uh uh with that being said
0: don't get sent off don't get traded for a second round draft pick <laughs>